Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. Sad to say you won't see me live for a couple of weeks because I'm going to get some much needed rest and vacation, but we will have programming on every morning at 830. Uh, you'll be able to watch some of my prior Wisdom Awakening talks. Uh, so we're going to be doing that for you, and then I'll be back live as soon as my vacation is over. So pray for me that we have a nice time, that we get that that we don't end up in the middle of a lockdown wherever we go <laughs> and have people uh, just going crazy. Uh, because I I'll tell you something, folks. I am realizing that, and I think this is directly related to the growing secularism and atheism of our culture. People are becoming hysterical with fear. Uh, I had, this morning, uh, I had the misfortune of I was watching something, didn't particularly want to watch what was on there because uh, I turn on the news, you know, as, as soon as I get myself together in the morning, that's the first thing I do is turn on the news, see what's, see what's cooking. And I started flipping the channel, ended up on CNN. I said, well, let me see what they're saying. Folks, it's not that I didn't already know it, but seeing it on the screen, listening to them talk on the screen, and, and I must have watched it for probably a good five, six, seven minutes. Um, it, it's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing because they were talking about Donald Trump and new information that indicates Donald Trump was trying to have a coup, planning a coup, this, that, and the other. And they were just beside themselves that the country, that Donald Trump is a mortal threat to the future of America. And, and I just listened to them talk and, and there, I had several observations as I listened. And here's the first one. They don't understand the American people at all. Now they understand leftist ideology but they don't understand the American people at all because they have this mistaken notion. And I've talked about this before, but it was just plain to me this morning again, made, made clear to me this morning. They think that leaders like Donald Trump, Rush Limbaugh, uh, on a smaller level, people like me, they think that we arise and that, that folks just like lemmings hear our mesmerizing voices, turn off their intellect, turn off their own critical thought process and just follow like automatons. And that we're simply too stupid to think for ourselves. And so these people come along who do the thinking for us and, and we just kind of follow blithely along. It is, a, it is a truly arrogant and supercilious attitude. In other words, we superior people are speaking, thinking for ourselves, but those inferior beings, they've got, they, they follow people like Donald Trump. They follow people like Rush Limbaugh. They follow people like E.W. Jackson. Not to put myself on their level, you understand, but I'm just, just making the point that they think that anybody who rises to any level of prominence in the conservative movement does so because people who are conservatives or Christians are simply too stupid to think for ourselves. And we just follow whatever the loudest voice is that comes along. They don't seem to realize that we Americans who support people like Donald Trump, like Rush Limbaugh, we do so not because we've turned off our critical thinking. We do so because we have been thinking a lot and we have been scrutinizing things. And we have felt that there's no voice for our concerns. And along comes somebody like a Rush Limbaugh, a Donald Trump, um, or an E.W. Jackson. And you can go right down the list, I mean, of, of you know, the prominent conservative voices out there. And we go, yes. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. That's how I'm feeling. Finally, somebody who's saying what I think. 
and that, that these folks become successful because they tap into a sentiment and a, and a point of view that is already there, is strong, and is simply looking for an outlet. They, they, look, for example, they do not understand that the American people are tired, we're tired of being lectured to, tired of being told how terrible our country is, tired of being told that, that we're a bunch of podunks who don't know, uh, 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 you know, don't know our way out of the rain, tired of being told that we're bigots if we believe in traditional marriage, tired of being told if we're Christians who believe that homosexuality is sin, tired of being told that if we believe that life is sacred, created by Almighty God, and we don't have the right to snuff out the lives of unborn babies, uh, that we're somehow women haters and we're, we're violators of women's productive rights and we're Neanderthals and we're abusive men who want to control women. I mean, we're, we're, or, or we're, just, we're just backwards. We're, we're tired of being denigrated. We're tired of being marginalized. We're tired of being told that patriot, patriotism is somehow out of vogue. We're tired of being told that the American flag is a symbol of racism. We're tired of being told that we need to sit down, shut up, because our speech is hate speech. We're tired of being told that if we don't want people coming into our country illegally, we're a bunch of anti-Hispanic racists and bigots. We're tired of being told that our country is racist and sexist and white supremacist and, 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 uh, and, and systemically racist and structurally racist. We're tired of hearing that garbage. We don't agree with it. We didn't agree with it before Donald Trump came on the scene. We didn't agree with it before Rush Limbaugh came on the scene. And we don't agree with it now. They just happen to be persons who captured the zeitgeist, if you will, who captured what was in our hearts and began to express it, and we cheered them on because they were speaking finally for us. So they were talking about, of course, January 6th, the big threat to our, to our democracy. Our democracy was almost overthrown. And they, they don't understand, and they don't want to understand, that we believe that the threat to the Constitution, and I'm talking about all the people who showed up at that rally, not, not just the people who stormed the Capitol, but all the people who showed up that, up that rally, believe that the Constitution of the United States is under attack. You know, we're not the ones who say you need to overthrow the Electoral College. Now they're all concerned about the Electoral College and the Electoral College was about to be subverted. Or they all will tell the Electoral College should be done away with. We should, it should just be a popular vote. The Electoral College is a racist construct, um, uh, once again. That the Constitution was written by a bunch of racist white men, slave owners. That we who admire and respect our Constitution see the left as trying to undermine it or overthrow it the McCloskey said that Cory Bush was in the crowd with those leftists who appeared at, 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 at and, and, and came on their property. And Cory Bush was saying to them, you can't stop the revolution. What's the revolution? It's the complete overthrow of a system. So the people who showed up that day, now maybe some had this in mind. I can't speak for everybody because I don't know who all they were. But I can tell you that the people who showed up, who are Trump supporters, showed up precisely because they are concerned that the Constitution is being overthrown by the left. And we want to maintain it. <clears throat> I think some of those people obviously got a little overwrought and went, and went too far. It should have simply been a peaceful demonstration and uh, allow the process to take its course and, and live to fight another day. But it got out of hand. 
But this idea that somehow our democracy was almost overthrown and it was almost a coup d'etat is just ridiculous. But, you know, when I was listening to them talk once on the Communist News Network, I could see if you listen to that stuff all day long, your mind will be so twisted because, you know, they and they criticize Fox all the time. And I still watch Fox. <clears throat> Don't watch as much as I used to. Um, but I still do watch it. Fox always goes out of their way, particularly on the on the news programs. To bring in a liberal to give their side, their point of view. Now, I, CNN brought on John Bolton, and he was, John Bolton is an anti-Trump person. I suppose you could say he's conservative. I think he is, but he is clearly anti-Trump. And he was, he was not as hysterical as they were about it, but he was certainly kind of going along with the program. He did question the hysteria, and I was grateful for that. But they were undaunted. They were they absolutely, they were absolutely undaunted in their idea that Donald Trump is the greatest threat to our democracy that ever lived. Uh, If Donald Trump's a threat to to our quote-unquote democracy, these idiots don't even know that we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. But if Donald Trump's a threat, then I'm a threat. Because I see them as a threat to the future of our country. And look, Donald Trump's a human being. He is now on the scene. The day will come when he will fade off the scene. He may fade off the scene before I do. He may fade off the scene, off the scene after I do. He's older than I am, so I, I don't know. But, but he and I and Rush Limbaugh is already off the scene. We'll all ultimately be off the scene. What I, what I am concerned about, so, so therefore, I am not worshiping Donald Trump. I didn't worship Rush Limbaugh. I liked them. I really appreciated them. I respected them because they were speaking for me. But they, but they are all human beings. They are both human beings and others, and we can mention are human beings who will fade off the scene. What I'm concerned about is abiding principles, which I believe are critical to the future of this country and the commitment that we have by elected leaders and public officials to follow those principles because therein, in my view, lies the future of the country. And you know the other, the, so, so, so the first thing I got was they just, they don't understand us. But you know the other thing that I, I realized in listening to them, I mean, because these people, they're really not smart. I'm serious, they're really not smart because they don't think through things. They just don't think through them. Um, and some of them really are just useful idiots to the left because they, they don't have the ability to sort of think deeply about these issues and try to understand what is going on in our country. Remember, the left has been pulling us further and further and further and further and further left. And the Americans who don't want to go there have been digging in their heels and saying, no, we're not going with you. We're not going. And the left is saying, you're bigots, you're crazy, you're, you're haters, you're, you're homophobes, you're racist, you're this, you're that. And basically, not only just mar- trying to marginalize any Christian, any conservative, anybody who doesn't go along, trying to marginalize them and, and sort of stick them in a box, but then increasing the tension by pulling further and further and further and further and further left. I mean, so for example, you didn't hear any discussion. Uh, I didn't hear any discussion on CNN about what about this issue of election integrity? Because obviously there are people, I mean, they just kind of dismissed that out of hand. Like that's just hysteria just created by Donald Trump. Because they won't listen to it. They won't even acknowledge the fact that the rules were changed and, and that COVID was used as an excuse. That's not E.W. Jackson speculating. That is a fact. It's a documented fact. And for whom did those changes advantage? To whom did, did, the, did, did those changes 
Who did those changes benefit? They benefited the left. They benefited Democrats because it allowed them to do ballot harvesting. It allowed them to extend the time for people to vote because remember, they operate in the urban areas where they have political machines. And the, and the more elastic the process is, the more loose it is, the more, the less scrutiny it gets, the easier it is to cheat or bend the rules or stretch the rules or basically do pretty much whatever you want to do to assure the outcome that you want. Election cheating in the modern era has almost always happened in urban areas because that's where it's easiest to do, where you have machines operating. So it, 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 all, of the, all of the bending, the breaking, the stretching, the changing of rules benefited them. You know, they won't acknowledge that. They won't acknowledge that there's any reason to be concerned about election integrity. And to me, if you wanted to garner my respect from the other side of the aisle, at the very least, you would say what I've said on multiple occasions which is this, I want our elections to have integrity, not to benefit conservatives or to disadvantage liberals, but so that all of us at the end of the process can have confidence that the outcome is real, whether we win or lose. Because I love my country, I want at the end of an election that I may have lost or that someone I'm supporting may have lost to be able to say, well, we live to fight another day. You know, that we, 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 we didn't pull it out on that one, but we move on. I want to be able to say that because I love my country and I don't want the alternative because you know what? If we can't trust the electoral process, guess what the next step is? And we've seen it happen in third world countries and banana republics all over the world, which is people take to the streets and they fight it out. We've always had peaceful transitions. I want that to continue. And therefore, I'm concerned about election integrity for all of us. And so I can say that. I want it to be, as I've heard it said, and I think it's the proper way to say it, I want it to be easy to vote. I want it to be hard to cheat. Now, what's wrong with that? But you know, the left never acknowledges any interest at all in election integrity. Oh, that's just made up stuff. There's no problem here. Nothing to see. And here's what I was going to say. Here's the, here's the, 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 the really the second major point I, I want to make in, in watching them, which I don't do very often. In fact, I can't even remember when the last time was I watched any of CNN, but I just happened to do it this morning. It got caught. I think they almost want to precipitate violence. I, I really do. I mean, just what you heard me just say, I want election integrity for all sides. I want to be able, if, if my side loses, I want to be able to say, well, that's, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. But I know that that's a decision of the people didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but that's the way it went. I can live with that. And I'll, I'll keep fighting for the principles and things I believe in and do better next time. I trust. They don't make those kinds of concessions. No, you people who think there's a problem with the elections, you're a bunch of crazies and we don't need to change anything. We don't need to do anything. Everything is just fine. That's what I always say. You know, we conservatives make concessions and they don't receive those concessions graciously. They take the concession and then spit in your face and say, now here's the next concession you got to make. I'm not making that, con- well, I don't even consider it a concession, but I'm not saying that because of them. I'm saying it because I love my country. I want our elections to have integrity. I want everybody to be confident that the outcome of an election is real. 
I wish they had the same level of equanimity and the same love of country and the same desire to bring people together. See, I think most Americans could come together around what I just articulated and say, yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with that. And if some of you have problems with election integrity, let's try to address those because we want everybody to feel confident about the outcome of our elections. But no, they won't. They will not concede, not an inch. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with the elections. There's no fraud in the elections. Can you think of any endeavor in life in which people don't try to cheat? I mean, really. But suddenly we have a utopian election system and nobody ever tries to cheat in that. And you conservatives who would suggest otherwise are just are just basically delusional. So that was the second big observation I came up with that these people, it's almost as if they're trying to drive us towards civil war. They're trying to to keep the differences so stark, almost like they're trying to set us up for some kind of revolution. Now, I'm not saying that that was what was consciously in their heads. I'm saying me sitting back, listening to them as an objective observer you know, who does not agree with them and hearing absolutely no concessions, no graciousness, no, well, you know, our country's got to come together. We've got to figure out a way to resolve these problems. We, nothing, nothing is Trump and a bunch of crazies who are trying to destroy and overthrow the country. And they almost got it done. What are we going to do about these bunch of crazies? Well, I don't know what they intend to do about it, but I know one thing I said to my wife this morning. I said, you know, we're either going to have an awakening, which is what I believe is going to happen. I believe there is going to be a major shift in the politics and culture of the country because the alternative I don't even want to contemplate. And I won't even say it. I think you know what the alternative is. Because based on what I was hearing this morning, I see absolutely no rapprochement, if you will. <laughs> I see no detente. <laughs> I see no perestroika with the communists, <laughs> okay? Uh-uh. They are, they are hell-bound, and that's it. And nobody's deterring them. And it, you and I, we don't exist. We don't exist except as a bunch of crazies who tried on January 6th to overthrow our democracy. I'll tell you folks, well, I think, I think enough on that, but uh, it was, I can't say I didn't know this that I've just shared with you, but it's just a reminder of how stark the situation is. In fact, one of them said, we are a country in crisis. So you got that right. But the crisis is sitting right in that studio in CNN. People like you, you are, you are precipitating the crisis. And I just went down the line, just all the things, they're moving, all the issues moving further and further and further left. And then from, their, from their far left vantage point, pointing the finger, look at those right wing crazies over there. Look at them. Why are they so extreme? And all we've been doing is standing in the same place we've always stood. Traditional values, faith, family, freedom, personal responsibility. Oh, oh, yeah, you're a far right wing. And you know, the, they never describe themselves or their cohorts, their comrades as far left or socialists or Marxists or communists, but that's what they are. Let's come back to uh, Ephesians chapter six, because you know what? I've got an assignment today and the assignment is to finish up this chapter. So let's get right to it, shall we? <clears throat> uh, let's come back to Ephesians chapter 17. It was where I ended up last time. Take the helmet of the uh, salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I spent quite a bit of time on that, so I won't go back to reviewing that. The 18th verse says, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, look, praying always, notice this, praying always. Uh, what is it? Second Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Praying always. Now, let me just talk to you for a couple minutes here about prayer. You know, people think that, some people think, you know, that prayer is, you got to go somewhere, you got to get on your knees, you got to clasp your hands, you got to look up, or you got to look down, or you got you to be in a, some special place set aside, and you got to say certain words. Oh, God, thou art that he, that's with the, I mean, you know, you, it, it, they've imbued prayer with a lot of religious accoutrements that, are, that have nothing to do with prayer. They turn prayer into a ritual. Prayer is not any of that. Prayer is intimate conversation with your loving Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Prayer is intimate interaction with Almighty God. And you say, well, pray always. How can you pray always? Because if you understand that God indwells you now, Jesus Christ indwells you, the Holy Spirit indwells you, that you don't have to try to, to make your voice carry to heaven. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with looking up when you pray. Nothing wrong with looking down when you pray in humility. Nothing wrong with looking straight ahead when you pray. <laughs> because the God you're talking to is not just out there. He's in here. Because he's in here, he already knows everything about you. You're not going to inform him about anything. You're not going to reveal anything to him. You don't have to ever be concerned about God sitting on the throne saying, I didn't, I had no idea. So therefore, in talking to God, you can talk to him about any and everything. Because he already, he already knows any and everything about you. There's nothing too intimate for you to talk to God about. There's no issue that you can't bring up with him. Anything that is on your mind. You can talk to him about, you can seek his guidance, you can seek his strength, you can seek his wisdom, seek his insight. Praying always. So that means prayer is not just something, well, when I get up in the morning, I pray 15 minutes in such and such a place at such and such a time, and I pray by do, reading this and doing this and reciting this and doing that. You know, with all due respect to our, all of our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, um, I believe prayer is, is, is about much, 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 much more than reciting anything, whether it's the rosary or anything else. Prayer is about intimate connection with God. Now, by the way, if that does it for you, praise God. But that not ought to be the, the, the limit of it, right? I have a favorite spot that I like to go to, and um, it, it's just, I, I, I love, now, I love interacting with God at this particular spot, okay, I just talked about, it's not a, so I don't just pray there, obviously, but, but I, I, I like that spot because it's quiet, and it's peaceful, and it, it just, it's just, it's, there's solitude, no one around to interfere, to bother you. And my prayer at that moment often begins just like any conversation might begin. I mean, I don't say, hey, God, how you doing? I might say that to a human being. I don't say that. But I might be sitting there and, and say, you know, Lord, I've been thinking. And off I go just talking to God about whatever is on my mind. And it doesn't have any particular structure. Now, sometimes 
I like to, to praise God by reading the last five Psalms of the book of Psalms and use that as an opportunity to just express my praise to God. Um, but I praise God spontaneously as well and just express my love for him. Oh God, I praise you, I worship you, I love you, I adore you. It doesn't have to have any particular format. You know, people take the Lord's Prayer and they think that the Lord's Prayer was meant to be a recitation. This is how you pray. It's not that. Nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer. Nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer was meant to be a model, okay? Not a mantra. A model that begins with acknowledging God, our Father. Lord, I know you are in heaven. Holy is your name. So what is that? That's praise of God. That's acknowledging God's sovereign authority and headship and kingship and his holiness and righteousness. That's how it begins. I think, I think in, a, in, in any kind of time set aside for prayer, you always want to include time to praise God and worship God because here again, is there anybody you'd have an, a, a, a close, intimate relationship with and every time you see them, you, uh, all you do is ask them for something before you can even say good morning. Hey, can you lend me $10? Hey, can you give me 100 bucks? You know what that person would ultimately do if you treated them like that, right? They stay as far away from you as they could. Now, don't get me wrong. God's not like that. <laughs> but the Bible says that God draws near to the humble, but the proud he knows are far off. And what is pride? It's pride's all about me. Me, 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 me. So if every time I go to God, it's all about me, what I want, what I need, what I need, do this for me, do that for me. I mean, come on. Where, where's the love? Where's the thanks? Where's the gratitude? Where's the, where's the praise? He is your heavenly father. When I was a young kid, my, my earthly father, my dad, between the age of 10 and the time I joined the Marine Corps, took care of me. When I became an adult, I ended up taking care of him. But once I became an adult and was out on my own, I saw my father for fellowship and friendship because I loved him. I still love him. I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven not because I needed or wanted something from him. And he knew that I loved him and I knew that he loved me. So it says praying always. Don't get hung up. You can, you can be praying in your car. Keep your eyes on the road, of course. Don't close your eyes and pray. <laughs> That's what I say. You could be praying looking straight ahead. And I prayed in my car Many times, more times than I probably thousands of times, maybe tens of thousands of times. Okay, praying always. That's how you do it. You have an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. Something hits you and you talk to God, Lord, how could that, Father, how could people be that off? You get some good news. Oh, God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you. Pray. I, I give you the praise and the honor and the glory. I'm so grateful to you for what you've done for me. You don't have to wait. Well, I will thank God at, at, uh, at 7.30 p.m. during my five-minute devotion. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know. No, you know, you, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. And it shouldn't be like that. Nothing wrong with having a 730 devotion. Don't get me wrong. I am not debunking or discrediting disciplined devotional at all, okay? Because I do it. I'm not debunking that at all. I'm saying, but that, that should not be the limit and the, 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 the sum and substance of your prayer life. And, and, and that kind of approach won't allow you to pray always. You know, my church has prayer at 7 a.m. every morning. Uh, we have a conference, a prayer conference called 7 a.m. every morning for our church members. And that prayer time can last anywhere from 20 minutes, depending on how many people are on the call, to 45 minutes. And uh, on average, somewhere between there. 
And on average, it's probably somewhere between that, just kind of in the middle, 7.30, 7.35, we're done. But I often pray, Lord, this is not the end of our prayer for the day, but the beginning. May this set a tone for prayer throughout the day, that we can be interacting with you throughout the day. We begin our day in corporate prayer, but we continue our day in personal prayer to you. We've set the tone. We've set the, uh, we've set the atmosphere for an ongoing prayer throughout the course of the day. Praying always. Wow, that's just two words. But how powerful those two words are. Now, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, with all prayer, <clears throat> supplication is particularly intense prayer. Supplicating usually implies that you are seeking God and often for someone else. But this can be for yourself as well. But, but often for someone else. Prayer and supplication. The word supplication is the word deasis, which means... Um, entreating intensely, seeking intensely, okay? So, so prayer can be a wide range of things. Prayer can be praise. Prayer can be uh, worship. And, and there's a little bit of a distinction between praise and worship, you understand? Uh, they overlap, but there's a little bit of a distinction between praise and worship. Um, uh, the word worship in the Greek is the word proskunio uh, or proskunio and it literally means to throw kisses at. To throw kisses at. In other words, worship is expressing your love for God and, and your, 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 your awe of God and your reverence for God and your intimacy with God and your your dependence upon God and your need for God. Praise is praising God for his attributes, uh, honoring God for his attributes. Oh God, you hung the stars in the silvery sockets. You, you, you hung the sun and the moon and, and you, you made the earth and set it in its orbit. You you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. You are the beginning and the end. You are the, the author of all that is good. You are the creator. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You are Jehovah Nisi, our victory. You are Jehovah Gamola, our reward. <clears throat> you are Jehovah Mikadesh, our righteousness, I believe that is. So there's, they overlap. Worship and praise overlap, but they are somewhat distinct. Okay. But prayer can include all of that and request and petition. Oh, God, here's where I am. Lord, I need your help. I'm asking you to. Okay. Supplication is sort of this intense seeking and treating God. Look, and in the spirit. Now, what does in the spirit mean? <clears throat> spirit here is capitalized. And I think that in these cases, the capitalization may be wrong. You can take it either way. But I think praying in the spirit means praying out of your spirit according to the will of God, not your own will. And one way to do that, I see I, people, I think some people think praying in the spirit means praying in tongues. I believe praying in the spirit does mean praying in tongues. But I believe praying in the spirit is anytime you pray the will of God. You are praying in the spirit. You are praying in accord with the spirit, not your own will, but God's will. Now praying in tongues, you, your mind is shut off. You're not thinking a particular thing, request, petition, and you're praying out of your spirit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says you're asking according to the will of God or you're praying according to the will of God. But you can pray according to the will of God. I really believe that when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was a prayer in the spirit. So, and both are, are important, by the way. And I, I think all of you know, if you don't, that 
I really do believe in the gifts of the Spirit with the witness of speaking in other tongues. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've, been, I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You won't find me speaking in tongues publicly uh, unless the, the, the unction of the Lord just comes upon me to do that because as Paul said, I would rather speak five words that can be understood than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And he that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So to me, tongues are primarily for private edification uh, of one spirit in relationship with God. But with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and I don't have time to go into a whole teaching on praying in the spirit and praying in tongues, but I would say this to you. I know there are some denominations that teach there is no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of that. I know that. But that's not a biblical approach because the Bible shows people who had already accepted Christ then being baptized in the Holy Spirit. OK, uh, but I'll tell you this. I've experienced it and it is a powerful addition to your spiritual life. Now, I'm not going to tell you, as some people would, that, well, if you don't get, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. That's that's wrong. Uh, there are some Pentecostals who've just gone off the deep end on that. And, you know, well, you're not really saved. No. You can be saved, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have received uh, or had the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that every Christian, every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit indwells you when you are saved. And I, I, but, you know, I've heard it said this way. Once you are saved, then the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have but how much the Holy Spirit has you. I'll, I'll, I'll move on from that. I've only got a few, couple minutes left. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication with all saints. So notice the purpose of the prayer. It's not just for you, but it's for the saints of God. Do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. It's for the saints of God. You know, I believe the church is in the condition we are in because we have not been praying enough for the body of Christ. 75% of the churches in America don't even believe the Bible is the word of God. They've left their first love. They're gone. Praise God for that 25% that still does. And we need to be praying for the entire body of Christ. Everybody who names the name of Christ, although some of these people are apostates, they don't know Jesus Christ. Some of these denominations that have just left the word of God, they're apostates. They're, they're an apostate church. They're a heretical church. They're not, they're not the church of the Lord. They're not the people of God. You know, this, this Unitarian church, that's not a church. It's a, that's a contradiction in terms. They don't, they, some of these Unitarians don't even believe there is a God. They don't even, they don't know what they believe. But we got to pray for the saints of God because the saints of God, I really believe, are the key particularly for this country, for example, for the United States of America, the saints of God are the key to the future of this nation. We got to be praying for our country. We got to be praying for the body of Christ too, to step up, to stand up, to speak up. You that make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Give him no rest until he makes the United States of America a praise in the earth calls us back to our first love and back to our foundational principles. We got to supplicate for that, for the saints of God. Let the church be the church and stop trying to be an adjunct to the world. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. There's, if you want to know, what do I want you to pray for me? There it is right there. That utterance may be given to me that I may make open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's it. Pray that for me. I pray that prayer for myself. I really do. I really do, folks. Oh, God. Help me to preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not to preach out of my intellect, but to preach out of my spirit. Under in, 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 in intimate connection with the Holy Spirit. Please the Lord to save the world by the foolishness of preaching. People find it foolish, but it's how God chose to save people. 
says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, <clears throat> that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. For I'm an, now, Paul was in jail, we believe, when he was saying this. He said, I'm an ambassador in chains. He's an ambassador for Christ, but he's in chains. Well, look, in a sense, we're all in chains in the sense that we are bound up in this world as ambassadors to Jesus Christ. We are bound up in this world as ambassadors to Jesus Christ. So in that metaphorical sense, we are all, every Christian is in chains. I mean, we are surrounded by an anti-God, anti-Christian atmosphere. But we are ambassadors for Christ in this atmosphere. And we have been given a ministry to, of reconciliation to which God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And our message is <clears throat> to a lost and dying world, be reconciled to God. Our message to homosexuals, be reconciled to God. Our message to transgenders, be reconciled to God. Our message to these leftists, these Marxists, these communists, these Democrats, be reconciled to God. Come off of that empty, godless philosophy that is driving you and come to the foot of the cross. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied, singing glory to his name. There's room at the cross for them, for everybody. There's room. And that's our message. Be reconciled to God. These people I was talking to you about on CNN, the Communist News Network, they need to come out of communism and come to Christ. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm going a little bit over because I know I'm not going to be with you again for a while. So let me just finish up the book of Ephesians, and that's going to be simple, a minute or two. But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I've sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Two quick points to make. One is Paul couldn't do it on his own anointed man of God, but he couldn't do it on his own. Folks, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I'm taking vacation because I need rest. I can't do this on my own. I need help. When I get back, I need help. God may have touched your heart out there, and you may be thinking, wow, I really, really love the ministry that God's given Bishop Jackson and what he's got to say. I'd like to help him. And some of you already have. You, you're sending in regular tithes and donations. I appreciate that. Some of you may, you may feel like God's laid on your heart to start what I call, here again, a, a TC dissidence ministry in your community where you bring people together, you listen to my messages, you discuss them, and then you talk about action you can take in your local communities to advance the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God, which doesn't just mean preaching people to, salvation to people. It also means standing up for what you know is right. Standing up against things that you know are wrong. I'd be happy to, to work with you and uh, have you be part of what we're trying to do here. What God has called us to do here. That's the first point I want to make. Nobody can do it on their own. Paul said, I'm Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. will make all things known to you and so forth. And here's the second thing. That Jesus Christ is not only Messiah, Savior, he is Lord. He is God come in the flesh. He is the God man sitting on the throne. He left his place in heaven as the second person in the Godhead came to earth, was born of a virgin, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes because there was no room for him in the end. But he was and is God almighty. No, here, the, the, the scripture always puts him on exactly the same par as the father. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love 
our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And you got people running around in these cults talking about Jesus Christ is not God. He's a prophet. He's the art the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. He's the archangel Michael. Mormons believe he was an angel. Uh, the Muslims believe he was a prophet. Yes, a prophet, but more than a prophet. God come in the flesh. He, he emptied himself of his divine privileges, took upon himself human flesh, became as a servant, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Gave everything up, because God can't die. He gave everything up to die for our sins. Therefore, God, the Father, has now highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no salvation without him, because there is no salvation with it without the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And his holy and righteous and sinless shed blood is the sacrifice made for my sin and your sin so that we can spend eternity with God, completely cleansed and forgiven for all, for all eternity, for every wrong thing we ever did do or will do. All right. Praise God. That's going to do it. I'm going to take a little break now. And uh, God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for sticking with me. I've gone a little over today, but thank you for sticking with me. God bless you. I love you. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. Believe me, I'm praying for you. I get communications from people. If you listen to me on the air, people call in on the air and say, pray for me. I pray for them right there on the spot. So I'm praying for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.